the vision of settlement is to provide one platform supporting multiple use cases on multiple chains and in the infrastructure that you want, whether that's a hosted solution in a SaaS model, or that's on-prem in your data center or on-prem in your cloud. One platform for all the use cases we want to do, which removes the need for retooling and retraining of the engineers in my organization to run a multitude of use cases. The percentage of developers that are blockchain capable is, in, in Europe at least, numbers are less than 1%. Settlement is a platform for the 99%. We democratize access to blockchain technology, making it possible for Web2 developers to easily build on Web3 infrastructure. You have just heard from Matthew Van Niekerk, co-founder and chief executive officer at Settlement, offering tooling for enterprises, public sector, and technology partners who want to innovate with blockchain and empower their technology organization. In 2006, Matthew made Belgium his home and eventually worked as the head of platform innovation at KBC Securities Bolero. Under his guidance, Bolero Crowdfunding was the first bank or broker to launch a publicly available blockchain application in Europe. So let us dive right in. Good evening, Matthew. Very good to have you on the show. Welcome. Hi, Norbert. Thanks for the invite and uh, very happy to be here. The occasion for our conversation is that you're officially launching in Japan shortly. You already have offices in Dubai, Singapore, India. You've been moving further and further east. The natural question, of course, is why Japan? Why now? Our expansion approach at Settlement has always been let traction lead expansion. So we were founded as a company in Belgium back in 2016 and got our first clients abroad in the Middle East. So we opened up in 2018 in Dubai to service the Middle East Africa region. And in 2019, we opened in Delhi, India for the same reason. 2020 in Singapore for the same reason. And Japan is the first country where we've gone into the market without pre-existing clients. But there's a special situation with the Japanese expansion. I would say, number one, I've lived in Japan for about seven years, so it feels like a homecoming in a way. And number two is a really important one. We've partnered with Fujitsu, who participated in our Series A financing back in October. So we're entering the Japanese market together with a very familiar name in the Japanese market and, and internationally and globally with Fujitsu. That's one of the ways that has been proven successful in entering the market, or two ways. One is getting the investment from a Japanese company as a sign-off approval, and then having a local Japanese partner. And as you said, it's obviously a strong brand here, Fujitsu. It's really about partnership. And we've been working with Fujitsu for about three years now. They've got a blockchain competence center that is based in Brussels, which is in Belgium, which is our home market. So we've been working with them for about three years in European geography. And with the success we've had in that region, looking to expand now into the home market. We started in our home market. Now we're moving to Fujitsu's home market together with Fujitsu in a very strong partnership. And obviously, Fujitsu also felt this was the right time now to make that step. So they think there is growth coming. What I've been really impressed with over the last 12 to 18 months, I would say, is the public sector view of Web3 and blockchain and METI, for example, defining a Web3 strategy. Obviously, it doesn't mean that mass adoption happens tomorrow, but it's definitely a very progressive stance on blockchain being a fundamental part of the future. And that's usually a sign for the private sector that regulatory clarity is coming. It's on the way. It removes ambiguity. It removes the perception of risk. If the public sector is defining a strategy for it, that often can, depending on the region, 
lead to a broader adoption of the technology in the private sector. It's been really encouraging to see those statements and those strategies coming out in Japan um, to pave the way for private sector to fully adopt the technology. And not just the private sector, of course, but the public sector as well. You've been in Japan before, you know how the things work. Sometimes it's the private sector waiting for the public sector to go first, and sometimes it's the other way around. It feels like in digital transformation, everybody has waiting for the other party for so long, nothing has moved. Web3, we actually have the paper out that, that you mentioned, feels that is actually moving because there's this catalyst that came and everybody is very excited, optimistic, sometimes maybe a bit overly optimistic as to how fast things are changing. But some goalposts have been planted. The goalposts and the 18-yard box and all the, the lines of the field are getting drawn, which makes it more comfortable, especially in the financial services sector, to know from a regulatory perspective, not just where the goalposts, but where are the lines and what are the rules of the game. When those things are clarified and laid out, then the financial services sector in particular will lean into investments in adoption of the technology to gain the benefits of what the technology can bring for them and ultimately for their customers. There are lots of questions I want you to ask because you have a really unique market perspective with what you're doing and how your customers are using the technology you provide. But going back to first principles, I think we need to explain what settlement does first. When I saw this Maybe one other or two other companies in this space always comes back. If there's a gold rush, you should sell the shovels instead of going digging yourself. And so you're in the business of selling the shovels. And how did you get into that? Seven years ago, founded in 2016. Yeah, that's right. August 24th, 2016. So we're coming up in just over a month to our seventh anniversary with about 90 people on our team and seven years behind us in an emerging technology space. We're one of the oldest and one of the biggest, but that's more a statement of the stage of the market than anything else. Maybe share my story about how I came to the idea of selling not just the, the shovels, but also the wash pans and the picks to support the companies that want to embark on a blockchain transformation journey. I think most great ideas happen because somebody has hit a wall so many times they decide enough's enough, I've got to solve it. That's really the story with me and my co-founder, Roderick. We got into blockchain technology in 2014. I was working for a bank in Belgium at the time and set up a center of excellence for blockchain technology. What I found was we had 2,000 very good engineers in-house, but there were maybe one or two that had some inkling of knowledge about blockchain technology. When you look at it statistically, less than 1% of developers today have experience with blockchain tech. Everybody, the whole market and all engineers are developing those capabilities through time, but it's a slow path as there are other priorities when they're working in an enterprise context. Blockchain is just one of the things they have to become competent with. What I found as a banker trying to be innovative with blockchain tech, there were a lot of walls that I hit trying to figure out how do we deploy a node of this network in our data center. Once we've achieved that, we spent three, four months getting connected to a network or in a permission blockchain sense, bootstrapping a network to bring a number of parties into a network. That's three, four months. And once we do that, let's figure out how do we program smart contracts? What's the language of the protocol? So I need to learn Solidity or another new language that I'm not familiar with. We don't have capabilities in-house with it. So I spent another three, four months of experimentation to build a basic smart contract that I might feel comfortable putting into production. We're six to eight months into our blockchain transformation journey, but we're not delivering any business value at that point in time. We've proven that X, Y, or Z can be done on chain. If I'm an innovation manager, maybe I pat myself on the back and say, I've proven that it can be done, but the business doesn't care. 
because there's no ROI on that type of thing. The biggest challenge to get it into production is how do I integrate it with my core banking system if I'm in the financial services sector? How do I integrate it with Murex if I'm in capital markets? How do I integrate it with SAP if I'm a manufacturer of goods? And how do I integrate it with my warehouse management system so that I can track inventory as it enters and exits and so forth? That integration is the single biggest challenge. We spend a lot of time on setting up networks or joining networks. We spend a lot of time building use cases. We spend an exorbitant amount of time, usually 12 to 18 months, trying to integrate that into our existing system so that we can actually put it into production. Those were the frustrations that I faced. And then what are your options? I can hire an Accenture or an IBM or someone else to build it for me. That's going to take 15 months. And there's not a good track record there of successfully implementing production blockchain applications by large consultants. The other option is I can take the technology offered by somebody if there's a fintech that's built a solution for bond tokenization or there's a fintech that's built a supply chain tracking use case, I can insource these use case by use case, insource a new technology, white label it and try to work with that. But through time, as I get many use cases in place, I've got really spaghetti in the back end because none of these things are integrated and I've got a bit of a mess if I have one identity solution and I've got another solution for supply chain and I've got another one for loyalty programs. I end up through time with a big mess in the back end. The vision of settlement is to overcome those dead end options that you have and provide a new option, which is one platform supporting multiple use cases on multiple chains and in the infrastructure that you want, whether that's a hosted solution in a SaaS model or that's on-prem in your data center or on-prem in your cloud. One platform for all the use cases we want to do, which removes the need for retooling and retraining of the engineers in my organization to run a multitude of use cases. Your support a number of chains, and that probably was a bit easier to determine in 2016 as well, but that part of the ecosystem keeps evolving. And also some people say, do we need another layer one now? They're still coming hot and fast. Is this something similar to the location? It's demand driven. If you see the demand from your client base, you start integrating it. It's partially demand-driven, but more importantly, it's about the developer community behind the protocol. We have a lot of protocols that want to onboard to our platform as we make it easy for developers to use the protocol. But if there's not a strong developer community behind it, you can question the potential longevity of the protocol. And we look at statistics around how many engineers are committing code to the protocol, uh, what is the growth rate of the community, In indicators like that that give a somewhat leading indication of Where is this protocol headed? Does it have legs? Will it be around in two years? A total pitfall for settlement would be onboarding 40 different blockchains, and then half of them are gone in two years. When we talk in an enterprise context or public sector context, if we're talking about people's money, we're talking about people's identity, we're talking about people's votes for elections. Now, if the protocol is not there, we have a huge problem. <laughs> These are not small problems. These are huge problems. There is some element of demand-driven responses, but we look a lot at what is the community behind the protocol doing? How are they evolving and growing to ensure that the chain itself will have longevity? There can be a hyped up protocol that might help us to sell a settlement, but we're not going to onboard it unless we feel confident that it's going to be there in several years to support the enterprise and public sector clients that are using our platform. And other than some cases where we maybe were close to onboarding a protocol and in the end didn't, and you're now happy that you made the decision? There are at least three of them. <laughs> I'm not going to mention the names of them. 
We've gone down the road of doing full technical analysis of the protocol to see how we can make the journey for developers in using that protocol very straightforward, click and deploy situations, which our platform provides for the chains we support. There have been a couple of, we got to full analysis, started to do the development work, and then figured something out that wasn't quite meshing with the long-term requirement that we have and, and had to pull the plug. So yeah, we've had a couple of misfires, but uh, happy to say that there's been three of them and not uh, 30 of them. There is Ethereum, of course, and there's Polygon. So there is the EVM core. That might mean that EVM-based protocols are relatively easy for you to integrate, but everything else that really uses a fundamentally different approach is also an incrementally higher effort than for you. Yeah, that's correct. There's one part about building a seamless experience for developers, which is when we're using chains that are not EVM compatible, then to make an integration studio, which is one of the layers in our platform or the smart contract template library, to make those work with a new chain is an order of magnitude more difficult than adding a new EVM chain. That's for sure. Anyways, the market will take us where it will, but we do have a lot of faith in EVM compatible chains. We think it's becoming a standard as well. It's rapidly evolving into a standard and not to say that other chains can't do the same things that EVM chains can and potentially do them better, but it's not always the best that wins in a standard scenario. It's what's being adopted. We look to support not only EVM chains, we do have a few that are not EVM, but I think you have to choose your battles as a business and choose your partners wisely. And I think we've to date got that pretty well aligned with what the market needs. We like to say we're chain agnostic, but also chain and cloud agnostic. So we're not married to any specific chain or specific type of consensus mechanism, but a combination of the factors mentioned before will determine which ones get onboarded and which ones don't. What does the ecosystem for the adapters for integration look like now, seven years later? You must have built a few of them. So you mentioned SAP or whatever, Loan IQ, that are common in the industries that you're working in. Is there some kind of marketplace, almost like an app store that has developed where things have been built and can be shared by your client community? There is an open source community behind the integration studio. When we first set up the integration studio, there were around 2,200 connectors. Today, there's around 4,400. So that's about two years where the marketplace for adapters has doubled. That's a very positive sign in that we also contribute to the marketplace of different connectors. And we're not the only one to add a connector for ChatGPT, for example, but there are a number of recent ones where new ways to connect to different systems with ChatGPT for different purposes are available in the marketplace. And of course, in our context, we have focused on things that can support developers in making their development process easier using tools like that. The marketplace of connectors covers pretty much every system used by enterprise and public sector. We have connectors in the marketplace off the shelf. You can drag and drop the connector into a visual programming environment and then use that connector as a bridge between whatever system, if that's SAP or that's Bloomberg or that's Azure IoT Hub or ChatGPT, that bridge between the off-chain world and the on-chain world is what our integration studio provides. So you can very easily program systems and data integration flows with a few clicks to test it and then deploy for productive use. That's a really great corporate use case there. Seems like some improvements have been made, but overall you know, how the tooling is for developers in the blockchain space and writing solidity code and so on still seems maybe hasn't gone as far as we would have expected five or six years ago. 
what that underscores is the need for platforms like ours, because like I said earlier, the percentage of developers that are blockchain capable is in, in Europe, at least the numbers are less than 1%. Settlement is a platform for the 99%. We democratize access to blockchain technology, making it possible for Web2 developers to easily build on Web3 infrastructure. If you look at the expectations for the adoption of blockchain technology over the next uh, seven to 10 years, there's a massive need for this. And, and that's why we're, we're big on creating the category and growing into the king of that category. But it's a journey and we have a lot of work to do, as do other players in the sector that have similar ideas and concepts behind it. There's a lot of room for improvement and growth. And as adoption of the technology accelerates and blockchain just becomes another thing that we use in the IT stack, we want to be there as settlement to guide enterprise and public sector into the space and just make the journey easy. At settlement and increasingly globally, we're quite convinced that blockchain technology will have a massive net positive impact on society. When you have that conviction, at least in our case, we're essentially morally obligated to make the journey easy so that everybody can use it. That's what drives us at Settlement. We're highly convicted about the benefits it'll have for society based on the projects that we get involved with, the implementations that we do, and what we see outside of Settlement happening in the market. The future will be better with blockchain tech. And with that as a conviction, what better to do than make it easy for everybody to adopt it? Maybe talk about some examples or also the numbers at large. As I said, I think you have got a great view as to where blockchain is actually used in the enterprise or in government and public sector. Is there anything that dominates among the use cases that you see? Are we talking domination in terms of mass adoption? Are we talking domination in terms of value derived? So there's a couple of different ways to look at it. And if we talk about adoption, I see a lot of promise in supply chain related use cases. I'll just give one example. We have an implementation in the state of Jharkhand in India, where they distribute seeds to the rural and farming communities and to the farmers. The process was prone to a couple of types of issues, corruption being one, where seeds that are intended for one farmer end up in the hands of another farmer and things like that. That implementation in its first eight months had 1.2 million farmers onboarded. The last number was around 1.8 million. If I look at implementations outside of the crypto domain, there's only maybe four use cases that are that widely adopted. There's having real impact on the agricultural sector and the livelihoods of the farmers that receive seeds. When you ask me about dominance, I look at what's widely adopted, and that's one use case I can talk about in supply chain for the agricultural sector. From a net value perspective... I see huge potential in capital markets, which is where I get started in the blockchain space, working for a bank and building post-trade clearing and settlement solutions on-chain. There, we're talking about a 70 to 90 trillion US dollar market on an annual basis that is serviced by an inefficient, antiquated infrastructure. There's a reason why settlement times for trades are T plus two or T plus three for liquid assets. And for illiquid assets, it might be T plus two weeks. If you can imagine a future where the, that 70 to 90 trillion US dollars worth of assets is traded, not at T plus two or T plus three or T plus two weeks, but T plus two seconds, the capital markets blockchain transformation will have, from an impact perspective, the largest in the capital market space. Thanks for the Indian example. I haven't heard about this, and that's truly impressive, no doubt, in terms of people actually using it. And they might not know what the technology right. behind it is, but it solves a problem, right? That's the use cases we want. Do you have more government clients, industrial clients, whatever else might be? It's pretty much a 40 
40-20 split between banking and financial services, uh, FMCG and manufacturing, and public sector. The lines between public sector and banking sometimes get a bit blurred when you talk about central banks and CBDCs. We have different clients that are bridging two of the categories, but it's pretty even split between the supply chain and the fast-moving consumer good type stuff where you do either supply chain or brand activation with NFTs. Uh, one of the use cases that we speak about publicly is with Coca-Cola Hellenic, uh, the, using NFTs to attract a new demographic of consumers to their products and using our platform within three weeks, they're using it uh, in production. They're like, we want to do an NFT campaign to drive brand activation for a specific brand called Amita. And three weeks later, people are collecting the NFTs. We see a lot of additional interest in the market doing that. If you look at a trading volume of NFTs, when we talk about JPEGs and stuff like that, volumes have dropped 97%. And there's a reason for that. It's a bunch of crap and a lot of scams and shenanigans that goes on with that. But brands that are using NFTs for brand activation, they have a longer term vision. In the Web2 world, you have cookies and you have browsers. And in the Web3 world, you have NFTs and you have wallets. There's a very analogous relationship between browsers and cookies and the wallets and NFTs. Using analytic techniques about the holders of NFTs, they're able to determine a lot of other really relevant information from a marketing perspective about how to target a specific wallet or client that's behind the wallet. Having a long-term strategy towards NFTs for brand activation and loyalty is the way to go. Forget about CryptoPunks this and the CryptoKitties that. The future for brands is in leveraging the technology for enhanced loyalty and other use cases like product warranties issued as NFTs. That, that has a huge potential. If there's a secondary market for my iPhone, if I'm buying in a secondary market, I would like to have the original warranty that came with the product. If I can do that with an NFT, which you can, or using for product passports, not NFTs, but here I'm going to about soulbound tokens. If I have a wallet on my phone that has a soulbound token, it's a unique identifier for this until the phone is recycled. There's a lot of things in the NFT space for brands and for manufacturing, also using soulbound tokens that I think are really interesting use cases that will have massive staying power because they are addressing real pains and not trying to make a quick buck. The cases that really get me going are, are the ones that have a very strong impact as well. And whether it's the, the case I mentioned about the farming sector and the agricultural sector in India, or we worked in the previous presidential election in Indonesia, where it's a paper ballot process, where there's 17,000 islands in Indonesia and 220 million people. When you've got paper ballots, it's a huge effort just to be able to count the results of the election. They're an example of how we can have impact uh, from a not only efficiency perspective, but a human perspective is that with the electoral system, having that complexity in place to collect the results and then aggregate those up, it takes six weeks for the election results to be communicated. Now, what we did there is have a witness at the polling station to take a photo of the official forms as so we don't see individual votes, but the polling station, which has a maximum of 300 voters per polling station. If you record the official results that are assigned by the chairman of the elect local electoral committee and you take a hash of that and store the hash on chain, within four hours, you've got the results of the election. Anybody can publicly verify that the results are accurate. What is the difference between six weeks and four hours? Of course, in that six weeks, there's unrest. Both candidates claim victory. There's violence in the streets and people die. So if you can close that window for unrest to happen, you have pretty significant real human impact as well. Looking at the tool, it makes lots of things easier just from observing it. There's still the point of when you hit a smart contract, you need to write the solidity code. 
that, as we know, is fraught with dangers. And have you thought about doing the QA controls in that process as well to avoid the stupidest mistakes that people can do? We've experimented and researched how far you can go with low-code type solutions and to avoid painting the users of the platform into much of a corner or being too restrictive. We expose all of the source code from the smart contract templates in the platform. They've got a library of 50 plus smart contract templates covering everything from land registration to bond tokenization to voting to identities, um, identity management systems. They've got this library that's ever growing. What we're putting in there is fully tested smart contracts. Now, of course, when you expose that code to customization, you do open the door for somebody to accidentally you know, misparameterize something and introduce a vulnerability. Just recently, we've also added in AI assistance into the integrated development environment that houses the smart contract templates. We call it a genie. They're able to do the, the unit testing, do the AI testing. When you're putting things in production, if, if you've modified the code, I would always recommend doing an independent audit of the smart contract before potentially doing something that has irreversible ramifications. Uh, the other thing that we do with a lot of the, the smart contract templates is introduce an upgradability functionality. We started doing that also because in the, the banking sector in particular, regulations change on a non-infrequent basis. <laughs> when regulations change, you might have to do something different with the smart contract, so you need to be able to upgrade it. Do we have um, a QA team that inspects the smart contracts that a client or user of the platform creates? No, we don't do that. We think it's better to have a third party do that audit. But what we do is make sure that, number one, the templates are fully tested. We provide assisted tooling to support the QA process. And then we work with a couple of companies, not too many, that we feel confident to provide good auditing services. The way that the platform was set up, you can actually have different parts of the functionality run on different chains if you want. Was this primarily design decision to keep it flexible or people actually doing crazy things where part of it runs on a Binance chain and part runs on Ethereum, for example? As a principle, when we started with the company, we wanted to stay agnostic as possible and agnostic from a cloud provider perspective, agnostic from a chain perspective. And because when you do that, you create optionality for the users and it goes beyond just choosing a different chain for a different part of an application. Maybe if I've got one chain that I'm setting up within an application to do a specific functionality, I want that deployed on Google Cloud in Brussels. And then at next chain is being set up as another part of the application. I want to deploy that in AWS in Bahrain. We want to create, from a design perspective, the flexibility, which creates optionality for users about exactly how they want to figure their, their application. So that concept of agnostic has been something that we've really embodied in the platform to enable flexibility, thus optionality for users of the platform. What can we expect in the next six to maximum 12 months on the settlement platform? There's a couple of practical things. This is more towards partners. We are working on a number of enhancements to our platform that will make it a partner product fit. Instead of product market fit, we also think it's important to have product partner fit. So we're doing a number of enhancements there that will enable partners to work with multiple clients on one instance and, and so forth. So there's some practical things from a partner perspective that will enhance the product quite a lot. Another one that we, we have on the roadmap is about uh, today we make it very easy to scale up or scale down resources that are allocated to different services on the platform. If I build an application and it's getting a lot of traction, I put everything on conservative setting for getting started. Now I want to scale up the resources that are allocated to that service in the application. 
like deploy. Oh, two minutes later, I've got from a DevOps perspective, everything provisions to scale up the application and vice versa as well. If there's peaks and then there's values in utilization and transactions, I might want to scale down. So we make scale up, scale down really easily. So we've had a couple of requests for auto scaling, being able to not have to press a button to scale up or scale down resources. That's something we're working on. It's to do that for multiple clouds. It's in a bit of an engineering feat, but that's something that's coming pretty soon. And we've got a couple of other cool, funky things, but I think the AI assistant stuff is just coming out now and we'll further elaborate on a number of ideas where the developer's life can be made easier with AI in the platform. The other, from a chain perspective, there should be some interesting stuff coming specific to Polygon. I expect some product announcements coming up pretty soon related to the roadmap that they have and how that embodies itself in our platform and how we make that accessible for engineers that want to work with the Polygon protocol. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Matthew. Thanks so much, Norbert.